Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, Hugh doesn't know I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to share some encouraging words about Hugh. I'm just so grateful for how he has served us in leading worship, and with Micah coming, he's like, hey, I I just want to be able to serve him as he's discerning what God's call is in his life, and come alongside him. He jumped into, no one was scheduled to read the scripture, jumped in to serve. And I'm just so grateful for Hugh's example as a servant in our church and having the servant heart. So thank you, my friend, for being such the servant that you are. Well, as we come to God's word, we were in this text two weeks ago, and we're coming back to this text because uh, we didn't quite get to the end of it because in verse 10, it says we are his workmanship, and we're going to understand what that means. Now, Michelangelo, you know, the, the great artist, sculptor, was, was asked one time while he was chipping away at a shapeless rock, he was, he was asked, like, what are you doing? And he said this, I am liberating an angel from this stone. I'm liberating an angel from the stone. And in many ways, that's what God has done in our lives. Though Michelangelo's working with kind of a lifeless stone, rocky crags, and he sees something there that he is going to and he's creating. And your heavenly father has done the same thing in you if you are found in Christ. Because we learned as we studied verses 1 to 7 a couple of weeks ago, we learned that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were dead. We weren't just kind of dead or mostly dead. We were spiritually dead. But God, but God made us alive together with him. For by grace, you have been saved. We, we learned that, we celebrated that, we celebrate that as we sing. And God has saved you to do good works. God has 
created you. He has recreated you, and he's saved you for something to do good works. And we're going to explore what that is and the significance of what that means but we don't want to jump right to the good. Okay, what are the good works? That's the place that we can often go as Christians. What are the good works that I need to do? What's the stuff that I need to do? But Paul starts with, for by grace you have been saved. There's something that we need to know. We need to know the depths of the gospel because what the motivating factor is for our serving for our doing good works is the gospel. We don't earn it. As, as Americans, we can have two mindsets, generally speaking. It's either, you know, the kind of traditional American mindset, you work hard, you work for stuff, you earn it. We got to earn it. Or there's the American mindset of today that's kind of like, well, I just deserve it because I'm awesome. They've been telling me I'm awesome since I was two and I'm entitled to it. So I should have it. But the, the gospel obliterates us because our salvation is a gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. Salvation is a gift. But we push back against that. Like salvation is a gift. I've got one right here. Gift. Salvation is a gift. Now I could come to my friend here and I could give him this gift, Right? He's like, yes, I got a gift. Uh, 20 bucks. You, tw 20 bucks. You can keep that for 20 bucks. For 20 bucks. Keep that. that. That is not a gift. If I'm asking him for something, this is not a gift. Or I can go to my friend Jay and I can be like, oh, here's the gift. And Jay, you know, he's like, no, 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 no. I cannot accept this. I must give you $20 for this because it must cost something. Well, that... That's not a gift if you have to do something for it. No, a gift is something that you go and, and you just give. And that's it. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's a gift to be received. You're like, what is it? It's a white elephant gift. Okay, I will probably get it back from their family at Christmas. But it's a gift. It's staying there because there's nothing that we do to earn the gift of salvation. And we must understand that truth before we take the steps forward to do the things that God has called us to do. Because this gift of salvation, it's, it's not meant to be transactional. John Stott said this, we must never think of salvation as a kind of transaction between God and us in which he contributes grace and we contribute faith. We don't contribute anything. We, there's nothing that we do. It's a, it's a gift. And have you received the gift? We must know, have, have you received the gift of salvation? There's nothing you bring to the table. It's not like you have to get it all fixed. It's not that you come with something or that you have to have everything all together to come. No, you just come. And you can repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and salvation can be yours. Don't let anything hinder you from coming because you don't have to bring anything. It's a gift. And it's, it's a gift and 
Paul wanted to make clear, this is a gift so that no one may boast. You're not going to boast in anything. There's not something that you have within you that, that causes you to earn it. If you think about, say, an airplane flying in the South Atlantic, I'm talking about like way South Atlantic, like near Antarctica, and the, the plane goes down. And there's three people standing on the wing as it's, as it's floating in the water. And they're like, well, we got to swim because we got to get somewhere. And of the three people, one is an Olympic swimmer. One is a mediocre swimmer. And one is someone who can't swim. They all jump into the water because they have to get somewhere because this plane has landed in the water, crashed in the water, and they got a thousand miles to go. Well, you can imagine the, the person who can't swim is 30 seconds to a minute away from Davy Jones' locker, right? Then the average swimmer, in 30 minutes to an hour, goes to the same place. And then we're like, okay, the Olympic swimmer, they can, they're after it. They're swimming, maybe takes them 20, 30 hours, they're still going, they, maybe they've swum 50 miles, I don't know. So you think, that's not that, they, they had something in them. but there's still 19 days of swimming to go. It doesn't matter what we bring to the table. It doesn't matter what gifts we have, what things that we do. We can't achieve the end result that is needed. But someone did, and his name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you could not live that I could not live and paid the debt that we deserved by dying on the cross so that no one could boast. That's why Paul said, you know, in the word, he said, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he said in Galatians 6. But far be it for me. Friends, we are tempted to do the earning thing. We are tempted. Like, we, we believe this truth. You've heard this truth before because we preach the gospel regularly here. It's something that we value. But yet, maybe our, our church background or our experience was, I must do something. Yes, I believe in grace, but I must do some works. No, I believe in Jesus, but maybe there's other th people that I need to pray to. We don't pray to saints. As we've learned from chapter one, the saints are the believers in Christ Jesus. And when, when saints die, they go to be with Jesus and they can't answer your prayers. Only Jesus can. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. So there's, there's nothing that we do. And if, if we experience, if we think that works, if when we're tempted to think about works, we need to understand the futility that doing things doesn't earn us favor with God. It doesn't earn us salvation with God. Charles Spurgeon described um, the futility of believing salvation by works by describing an encounter with someone on their deathbed. This is what he said. He said, he looks at me in the agony of his soul and he stammers out, what must I do to be saved? Shall I read to him the moral law? Shall I expound to him the Ten Commandments and tell him that he must keep all of these? He would shake his head and say, I have broken them all. 
I am condemned by them all. If salvation be of works, what more have I to say? I am of no use here. What can I say? What could he say to this man? The man is utterly lost. There is no remedy for him. How can I tell him the cruel dogma of modern thought that his own personal character is everything? How can I tell him that there is no value in belief, no help for the soul in looking to another, even to Jesus the substitute? There is no whisper of hope for a dying man in the hard and stony doctrine of salvation by works. If salvation had been by works, our Lord could not have said to the thief dying at his side, today shalt thou be with me in paradise that man could do no works. His hands and feet were fastened to the cross and he was in the agonies of death. No, it must be of grace, all conquering grace. The modus operandi between must be by faith or else for dying men, the gospel is a mockery. Great preacher of old just exposes the reality that the deathbed reminds us of. There's nothing that we can bring. There's hopelessness there, and it can be very hopeless. But we have amazing hope because we have the two words, but God, but God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with him. For by grace you have been saved. That is the backdrop that we must have in our minds as we consider the good works that God has for us. We took that amount of time to talk about that because it's absolutely important for us to understand the richness of the gospel. It's it's important for me to understand that because my temptation is I've got to do something. Or my temptation is to evaluate the fruitfulness of my life and be like, I obviously did not do enough because X did not happen or Y did not happen or Z is happening to me. It must be me. Or when something goes really well, I can can be tempted to be like, yeah, look what I did. But the gospel, the gospel does away with that and sets us free to do good works because we are God's masterpiece. Now, when you look at the text and it says we are his workmanship, I think, I think the best translation that I've found was from author F.F. F. Bruce who translated it this way. His masterpiece, his work of art. So workmanship, the the original, if you just kind of tease it out, we're his work of art, we are his masterpiece. We long for significance. You long for significance. You want someone to love you. You want to feel appreciated. You want to be encouraged. We feel that. But you have value. You have value and significance because of your creator, not because of 
you. You are his workmanship. You are God's work of art. We are God's work of art. Now, we are his workmanship. We are created really twice over. So initially, we're created because he, he formed us. He, he made us. We learn from Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. There's no denying that reality. I mean, just the gift of life is amazing. If you've seen a baby born, it's amazing. If you studied the intricacies and the workings of the human body, that's amazing. So certainly that's amazing that God has created us, but God, but God has done something far more significant. He has recreated you because you were dead and he made you alive. He has recreated you. You had great significance before your salvation because all people do. Why? Because all men and women are created in God's image. That's why we value all humanity. That's why we would have compassion because every person is created in the image of God. Holy thing to be aware of. Just just does away with so much of the hurt and the hate that exists. But God, in our spiritual darkness, he made you alive. He made you alive, and he is going to finish the good work that he began in you. Because you are his work of art. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. This is how God feels about you. A Roman matron was asked once, where are your jewels? And she didn't go like running into her bedroom and finding her jewelry box or whatever and pulling them out and going, yeah, here's my silver and gold and pearls. What did she do? She said, hey, children, come, come here. Calls her children over and says, these, these are my jewels. Your heavenly father feels that way about you. He saw the the lifeless body before the foundation of the world, right? He chose you before the foundation of the world. We learned that in chapter one. He said, I'm gonna do a work here, a work that nobody else sees but I see because I'm gonna do the work. And you are on display. Your changed life points to him and gives God glory. Yes, your life gives God glory. The change that he has worked in you through Jesus Christ brings glory to him wherever you go. When you're the aroma of Christ, it's bringing glory to God. In this day, in in the days past, so he, he did a work in you by saving you, but he's continuing to do a work in you. Why is he doing that work in you? So that he can do a work through you. And he will, and he is doing a work through you. Because you are his work of art. He's going to finish the work that he began. Now, I know some of you might be like, yeah, okay, I'm his workmanship. I'm not, I think I'm the stick drawing. When I look at my life, I, I think that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I'm with my wife. It's a beautiful masterpiece using wonderful oil paintings. And I think I'm just like a leftover crayon drawing. That's what we can feel like. But no, God is 
God is chiseling away the extra things, and he wants you to know that you are in Christ so that you would never boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, our good works flow out of our union with Christ. So we haven't yet to talk about what are the good works that we're going to do. We, before we get there, we need to know that they flow out of who Christ is. They're not something we do to earn something from our God. They flow out of what he's done for us. Because as Christians, we often can, can fall into two ditches. We can fall into the ditch of legalism, which says, I've got to do these things for God to love me. Or to be a good Christian, I must check off these boxes and do these things because that means that I'm awesome. So we can fall into this ditch of adding to God's word and being legalistic. But sometimes when we experience that and feel that, we're like, no, no, we need to shed that off. And we go too far to the other side and do shed off everything else. The side of antinomianism, which is kind of just a, you know, a fancy theological, you know, word for, you know, shedding off rule and authority and and law and rules, just completely being licentious. So we can fall into those two ditches. Well, I don't want to be too legalistic, so I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to do anything, or I'm not going to live under rules. But Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said this, in their relationship to God, Christian people frequently fall back in the most general sense into thinking of their acceptance with God now being dependent on their performance. Or on the other hand, burdened perhaps by a sense of failure and the promise of freedom. They throw aside the commandments of God and the necessary of doing the good works that God has ordained for us in order to escape that kind of legalism. That's what we can do. We can fall into a functional legalism on a daily basis. And we can often overcorrect. Oh, things are going so well. well I got to do this thing now. I got I to earn something. I got to do it. We're good. We're like, yeah, I didn't earn my salvation. I, I'm good with that. Like we just talked about that. I'm good with that theologically. I understand I didn't earn my salvation, but you know, every day I really need to do something so that God will like me today. No. We are his workmanship created in Christ. As we go through Ephesians, we're going to hear in Christ. You need to hear in Christ. There's nothing you need to do today to get God's favor. We only need to look at the cross of Christ to know that we have favor because every other religion tells us the root of salvation is in the works that you do, the effort that you put forward. But the gospel says that the works that we do are the fruit of our salvation. They're the fruit of our salvation. When a person is saved, we'll know them by their fruit. The love of Christ is the thing that should compel us. The love of Christ is the thing that should cause us to shed off the old self and the, the sinful habits and behaviors and tendencies that are there. I think of like a rusty piece of iron. Think of a rusty piece of iron. Like, what, what are you going to do with that? It's rusty. 
Well, if you stick that rusty piece of iron into a hot furnace, it, something happens to it. We have an image of what that, that looks like. The, it, it glows. Stuff gets burned off of it. Sometimes if things are he- heated up hot enough, the impurities come out of it, and it, it becomes pure. It becomes almost white hot in glowing. That's what happens to the Christian as we spend time in the presence of Jesus. Not starting with, I've got to do things so that God's going to love me, but we start with abiding in Christ. If, if he's the vine and we're the branches and we can't bear fruit apart from him, the place to begin is Christ. Not with the things that you have to do today or tomorrow or for him. Or even evaluating the things you have done for him. The place to begin and to stay is in the presence of Christ so that you burn hot. And that comes from in your heart. You burn hot for Christ. So when we go to do for Christ, it's motivated because of what he has done. We're we're aware, no, he has burned this off. We're aware God has done the work in us. He has shed off my old self. He gets the glory for my life. And then we go to do good works because we were created to do good works. That's what you were recreated to do. Jesus said this, by this, in verse uh, 8 of John 15, he said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now he's not saying, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Go do some things. Show me. No, it's it's the proof that's there. It's, it's like proof when you're trying to make an argument and you open up and you do the research and you say, the proof is right there. Well, the proof is right in you, the transformed life. And the first works that we do are works where we're seeking to grow in godliness and holiness. Not first seeking to do things for God, but seeking to be who he has recreated us to be in Christ, bearing fruit. Because the old nature, it grabs at us. You feel it in the morning, right? When you open your eyes. I don't know about you. Maybe it's different for you. When I open my eyes, it's birds aren't fluttering and, and chirping, and I don't float out of my bed in the morning. Well, maybe I'm aware of my physical body getting older, but I'm often aware of my emotional state, which is usually one of like, man, yesterday was horrible. Today probably is going to be worse. We feel that tug, right? You you feel that, that tug. Well, we have to strive against the old nature, those murmurs, because he wants us to live out the transformed life, and it starts with looking at him. So when we ask questions of valuation, we just ask the, ask the question, am I growing? Am I growing? Are you seeing the fruit of sacrificial love towards your spouse and your kids in an increasing way? No one here has arrived, okay? Apart from what you may think, you may look across the room and go, yeah, 
that couple, they've arrived. Everything's amazing. Well, you just don't know them that well. No, we are you seeing growth in your life? That shows that God is working. Are you more patient with your kids? Are you more fruitful at the work God has called you to? Is there an increasing zeal for the lost? That's the good works that we start with, growing in holiness, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And God does stuff in us to bear the fruit of the Spirit as he works in us. Like as we go to take steps to do good works, he works in us. He works in us through, through significant trials sometimes and through, through the trials of life, right? There's, there's like Michelangelo. He's cutting, cutting stuff off that's not needed for the masterpiece that's there. You felt that in your life, right? When you're walking through something and you're like, man, I can't, why am I walking through this? I can assure you God is at work. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste any trial. He walks you through those things And I'm not saying he's created something just to make your life miserable. I'm saying he uses every single trial because you are his masterpiece. He doesn't leave anything wasted. Nothing. But when we understand what he has done, when we understand the depths and the wonders of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we understand that he's continuing to work in us, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. We're, we're actually set free to do things for God, to do good works for God. Because then there's not this burden of like, I've, I've got to do this or he's not going to love me. And there's just a burden when that happens. Like, I've, I don't do this thing. Because then when you don't do that thing, because you're doing it in your own strength, or you don't do it well, you're just like, God doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't want any of that. He wants you to know your acceptance in Christ, in Christ. So you're set free. No, I'm in Christ. So that when I do this, and it doesn't always turn out the way that I think, well, well, he's prepared this work for me, so, and he's the one responsible for the fruit bearing. We're just simply called to faithfulness. Parents, you need to understand this. You need to understand this. Particularly the younger parents. The older parents already get it because they worked really hard to make their kids perfect and they've realized somewhere around 12 that 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 wasn't going to work so well, right? God's called you to the good work of parenting your kids. God's called you to the good work of serving. Sometimes that's in, in private where others aren't going to see. Sometimes that's in public for others to see. Sometimes that's in giving so that you're going to support missionaries or support the ministry of our local church. There's good works that God has prepared. You simply need to ask God, what are those good works? Because God's working in you. I know, just a quote for another quote from Michelangelo. He said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Sometimes as we step out to do the works, good works for God, he uses that process to chisel things away. If you want to wonder what that looks like, just serve and harvest kids. Like, Serve there. If you haven't served there, you're like, I'm not gifted to that. Well, 
There are a few people that are, but most of the people that serve there aren't gifted to do that, but they faithfully take that step and God uses it. God grows them in it as they share the gospel with the kids. And there's many other ways that we do that. Most of the ways that God's gonna call you to serve, you're not gonna like have like this major gifting to use to, to, to do this thing. Why? Because you aren't supposed to do it in your own strength and you aren't supposed to take credit for it. So he's going to position you in places where you don't have everything there. You're going to be like, well, I don't have that tool in my toolbox. Well, Jesus is in your toolbox, so you're okay. You can take that step. Certainly God's going to call some people to do things that they're more inclined to do, and God's going to use people in gifted ways. But what is God calling you to do? Knowing of what Christ has done. Knowing that he has prepared good works for you to do. What are you going to do this summer? I, I emailed the small group leaders yesterday, said, hey, we're going to be preaching on this. I want you to ask your small group. So know that this is coming. Ask your small groups, what is God calling us to do as a small group? What are the good works that God has prepared for us? Maybe you're going to serve in a particular capacity. Maybe there's someone in one of your neighborhoods that you're going to serve. Maybe you're going to have a picnic this summer so that you can invite your lost friends to come and you're going to interact with them, learn what their needs are, learn how you can interact with them because God's prepared good works for you. So don't think, God, God doesn't want to use me. He's not gifted me. He's only gifted those really gifted people, who, whoever those people are. Right? No, he has good works prepared for you. Because as you take steps, you are bringing God glory. Don't look at your ability, capability, or even sometimes the fruitfulness of that. Although I think God is going to have us be fruitful. We as elders have been praying about this. We even met yesterday. We're praying, God, what is it that you're calling us to do? We're going to have a meeting, talk about vision in the next month or two. Just what is God calling us to do as a church broadly? Before we talk even what God's calling us to do broadly, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling your small group to do? What is God calling you to do as an individual? Because in America, we like to sit and soak. We love to come to a place and be entertained and then go home and be entertained there. But God has done this transformative work in you so that he can do a work through you. He's done a transformative work in you by sending his son Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive together with him for by grace you have been saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not your doing, it is the gift of God. So all that is there and it sets us free. We were praying about this this morning, how it sets us free. When I'm not burdened by I've got to do something, it's like, well, I, I get to do something. I don't feel some kind of odd weight of, I've got, I've got to do this thing. I've got to, I've got to serve. There, there are things on the screen that they put up, oh, the ways to serve. Oh, maybe I should do one of those things because I don't, you know, because I really need to do something for God. No. Jesus already did all that you needed to get acceptance from him. There's tons of acceptance. So you get the opportunity to do something for God because you are his masterpiece. And as you take steps, God's going to bear fruit in your life. So take the step to serve. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 5. 
He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You don't do the good works to get praise from God. You do the good works as the outflow of who you are, who he's created you to be. Because you're no longer dead and dark. You've been made alive. And you are the light of the world. Because you are his workmanship. He loves you. I love you. May we labor together to do the good works that God has prepared for us. Now, put your seatbelts on. Because we ask God, God, what are the good works that you have prepared for us? He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. And it's going to be a great adventure. There was a singer when I was in college that sang a song called The Great Adventure because the adventure that we have in Christ is a great one. Because as we take steps, like we don't have the ability to do it, but he does, and it's amazing. It'll be an amazing journey that we have together. And I know God is working in you because I've seen it. And I know God's going to work through you. I have faith to believe it because of what God's word says. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you right now, I know there's a temptation for us to feel that we have to do something. Even after sitting and looking at the, the amazing truth in your word, I, I feel it. I feel the temptation. I've got to do this thing. I need to do more. And I ask God that you would settle our hearts right now. That you would settle our hearts as we come to sing. And we would, we would direct our gaze to Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would, as we direct our gaze to Christ, you would open our eyes to the wonder of who he is, that you'd make us white hot like that metal in a passion for Christ. So as we open our eyes and as we enter the mission field, we just see the opportunities and the good works that you've prepared, whether it's to help our lost friend with the graduation party or whether it's to serve someone in our local church or whether it's to give sacrificially or to go on a mission trip, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, Lord, would we do it in a way that just we are delighting to see you work and use us because you've prepared good works for us. So direct our gaze right now, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.